यार जैसे अगर मैं अगर मैं हिंदी में बोलता हूँ तो मतलब लोग बताते हैं कि पहचान नहीं सकते कि मैं फॉरेनर हूँ हाँ। ना मैं मैं अंग्रेज तो बोल नहीं सकता हूँ क्योंकि हाँ। इंग्लैंड से नहीं हूँ हाँ। विदेशी हूँ हाँ। लेकिन वो अगर मैं हिंदी में बोलता हूँ तो फिर हाँ। अगर मैं फेस टू फेस बात करूंगा तो लोग तो चौंक जाते हैं जैसे मैं रिक्शो में बैठता हूँ तो रिक्शो वाले तो हमेशा तो उंगली मतलब आंख तो उनकी इतनी खुलता है लाइक सीट के बराबर लाइक यू नो दे जस्ट लाइक ह्यूज आईज बिकॉज दे जस्ट Yeah. Just get shocked to hear me speak in Hindi. Yeah. Uh, but over the phone, I have conversations all day long with, uh, you know, yeah. doctors, lawyers, parents, and they forget that I'm a foreigner. Like a radio broadcast advises safety at all times, discourages underage riding, but celebrates the spirit of motorcycling. And how? episode 61 from the biker radio broadcast a podcast celebrating india's heroic riders legendary mechanics and iconic builders through stories told by members of the community one legend at a time i'm shandy and this is a new year and we're in 2021 it's a 20 something let's not forget about that raging hormones where every day is probably newsworthy 100 years back this day the famous 1921 magnetic storm created havoc alongside Adolf Hitler who became the Führer of Germany where London billed Germany 33 trillion dollars to pay for World War 1 the Chinese Communist Party was formed Charlie Chaplin debuted as the kid Mary Stopes opened her first childbirth clinic the women's suffrage movement came to fore the Russian white army invaded Mongolia the world's first fast food company the White Castle hamburger opened in Wichita Kansas and the only piece of news from India in world history of any significance 100 years back was inauguration of Rabindranath Tagore's Vishwa Bharati College in Shantiniketan and boy was that significant the man taught us ki jodi to dark shune kyo nash tabe akla chalo re and renewed with that vigor to preserve persevere and prevail i welcome you to a year laden with hope where should we succeed we would have saved the lives of over half the world's population i welcome you to a world that is beginning to see india as a major stakeholder in the planet's welfare a global india of vasudeva kutumbakam where this ancient land is a sanctuary and as much a benefactor to the world we live in 
Our guest today represents that plurality of humanity. His family has been taking care of India's destitute and the underprivileged for decades, reaching out to communities that official machinery has struggled to reach. He's a son, a father, a husband, a teacher, a friend, an off-road rally rider, a photographer, a tour operator, a philanthropist, a disaster and rescue worker, a swimmer, a trekker, a computer nerd. <laughs> Basically, a six-feet-tall, Hindi-speaking, white Australian desi. Please welcome the Joey from Banbasa, Clifton Shipway. Clifton Shipway, welcome to the Biker Radio Broadcast. Welcome to the long way home. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. First of all, a very, very happy New Year to you. And to you. Thank you Gosh, so much. It's, uh, yeah. It kind of feels like, I think, I think we're all expecting good things from 2021. <laughs> let's, hope, let's hope it's not a letdown. There's a lot of, I think there's a lot riding on this being a good year. We need it. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, we're all sure. kind of desperate for a bit of joy and a bit of, uh, bit of freedom, I think, more than anything. True, true that. But also I was kind of, you know, just looking back on 2020 and I was trying to, you know, find things that I could express gratitude for, you know. Uh, mm. And the one thing I found was that uh, that was the year unexpectedly and has never ever happened like that before in my lifetime where you get to spend so much time with your family. Absolutely. That's the one thing which was like, wow, I wish it could happen all over again. You know. So tell me about family. Yeah. So, I mean, my family is not the orthodox traditional family right. in that. Uh, I, you know, live in a, a, and run a children's home um, right. for destitute and sort of abandoned kids. And right. um, so for me, family is a much more inclusive term. Right. Uh, you know, I, I have a dad, I have a wife, I have kids, right. uh, but my family is made up of hundreds of people. And so you're right, uh, this whole COVID lockdown, um, you know, and looking back at 2020 and considering the, the, the good things that happened, uh, that's right at the top of my list is I was able to spend more time with the people that I love. And thankfully, uh, there's a lot of people. So uh, that meant that I didn't get too tired of anyone before I was able to move on to the next. <laughs> and, you know, I think if I was stuck at home with just me and, and the wife and kids, yeah. I might have got a few more gray hairs over the last 12 <laughs> months than I do right now, you know. But uh, no, 2020 started off for me with a great, you know, it was great. I I had big expectations, had a lot of rides planned and um, fortunately got in um, a great ride through through Speedy, uh, you know, with the Royal Enfield whiteout ride. I was able, yeah. fortunate enough to go on that ride. But then everything came to a screeching halt, mm. you know, um, straight after that. And plans, obviously, like everyone's got cancelled. And, uh, you know, it's been kind of this this sort of in-between over the last whatever it's been now nine months or something 12 months 12 months whatever like where we're just all kind of treading water and hoping that we don't drown <laughs> yeah from wiped out to wiped out yes <laughs> <laughs> so tell me where on earth is banbasa yeah uh, that's a question i get a lot uh, banbasa is in it's in north india and so it's kind of on the eastern side of north india right by the border of nepal yeah. So a lot of people uh, know of Nanital. It's sort of a famous tourist destination. And we're sort mm -hmm. of nearby Nanital. So about about 300 kilometers east of Delhi. So what is the route you take when you go from uh, Delhi? So to get from Delhi to Banbasa, you'd go Delhi to Moradabad, 
Okay. Maradabad to Rampur, Rampur to Rudrapur, and then Rudrapur to Banbasa. Okay, so, and the roads are okay? Rampur, Rudrapur is always the uh, traditionally. Most of it. Rampur, Rudrapur, oh. yeah, Rampur, Rudrapur route is always filled with trucks and sugarcane and factories and stuff. So you get a fair bit of traffic and a bit, bit of potholes in the road, but <laughs> it's reasonable. <laughs> I tell you what, I it's been, uh, what, 16 years I've been traveling that road and it's vastly improved yes, over the I last would, 16 years i remember i, I, I can even remember I, I wrote it a few times in 1995 and it was oh. like a single lane yeah uh you know like it was like a bullet cart road and and now it's this you know pretty good two-lane highway most of the way and you guys are pretty much on the outskirts of the corbett park right almost uh yeah sort of kind i of. mean the jungle that so we're we're located right on the border of the jungle and that jungle connects through to corbett but it's not actually the Corbett jungle, so right. it's its own little uh, section. So, uh, yeah, and we're right pressed up against the Nepal border. So I could literally, like, Nepal is about three kilometers distance from me at the moment. So that, that um, border is the Tanakpur border? Correct, the Tanakpur border. It's actually the Banbasa border. Um, oh, the, it's the called the Banbasa point, border. Yeah, the crossing point is, is uh, here in Banbasa. You're listening to the Biker Radio broadcast. Listen, connect, ride on. Hi, this is Clifton Shipway, Shipway, Shipway. And you're on the long way home. home. No, I want to go even further back. What is an Australian kid doing in the Tarai of yeah, that's, the Ganges? That's a, that's a doozy, that story. Yeah, um, take us there. Yeah, it all started back in the 1940s okay. uh, where my grandfather was a American citizen and he came out to India to teach in Alabad Agricultural Institute. Okay. So, so Maxwin Strong was a professor there. Mm. He started India's first agricultural engineering program. So wow. that was in the 1940s. Mm. And uh, after India received independence, mm. uh, there was this camaraderie uh, between Indians and Americans because Americans had too received their independence from England, right? And so True. while all the British were sent out of the country um, and somewhat ostracized, you know, understandably, yeah. uh, there was this there was this patriotic sort of brotherhood that that somewhat formed with some people and Americans. Right. And so my grandfather was asked by the, the new Indian government mm. to start a project in the Tarai region um, caring for people who were struggling. Um, mm. and, and a big focus of the organization initially was for Anglo-Indian children, right. you know, to educate them and, and help them to find a place to fit in Indian society, you know, now that things had completely changed. You right. know, the whole world had changed for, for Indians. and. So my grandfather went back to the U.S., uh, gathered some supplies and mm. traveled by ship uh, all the way to Mumbai and landed on the docks in Mumbai, had a tractor in pieces, um, you know, a couple of trailers as well in pieces and put them together, you know, connected the axles and um, put together the tractor, it literally got shipped over in boxes mm. and, uh, and a thrashing machine as well. Mm. And then he drove that machine all the way from Mumbai to uh, where we are here in Banbasa, which was a ridiculous journey filled with incredible adventure. 
you know, searching for kerosene oil, which is what they ran right. the tractor off those days. Right, right. Sometimes getting it from local sort of rajas and, you know, the local sort of, uh, uh, I guess, mafia type men back then, whoever right. they were. And sometimes they were negotiating it with the government, sometimes with locals taking it out of oil burning lamps. And, right. you know, they eventually got themselves here to Banmasa. And uh, back then it was all complete jungle. So my well, grandfather was Banmasa? the first. That's just the area that the government had given him. Okay. Um, it had been identified, I guess, because it was on the foothill of the mountains. There was a high level of malaria in this place. Um, and they felt that somebody with the skill set that my grandfather had could uh, somewhat terraform the land, you know, right, and turn right. the swampy lands into more uh, usable lands. And so uh, that's what my grandfather set it doing. And it took him, uh, you know, well over a decade to really clear the land. And we have about a 75 acre campus here. And wow. so he really worked hard at, at clearing the land and, and getting it established. And initially he started in a tent and then from a tent to a mud hut, then to a mud brick hut, then to a, you know, a proper brick uh, home with, you know, rendered brick. And mm. it's it's been this incredible journey. And so along the way, um, you know, my father was living in Australia okay. and he uh, was a young farm boy. Fam my, my family in Australia are all uh, sheep farmers. And they had a large property, 3,000 acre property there okay. in Australia. And my dad just didn't feel like that was his future. He, he felt like he could do more with his life than that. And he was unsatisfied as a young 20 uh, year old man. And he got together with some others and they literally hired some planes and emptied the seats out of the airplanes and uh, filled the planes with cows mm. and flew the cows over to India. Wow. And some people might say, well, yeah, well, I mean, people would say exactly that. Wow, why cows? Yeah. Um, but what had happened is my dad had gotten to know that, generally speaking, Indian cows give, you know, 10 or 15 liters maximum of Correct. milk. Correct. Uh, you know, sometimes even less, sometimes four or five liters right. you know, and per day. Whereas Australian cows were giving 80, 100, 120 liters wow. per cow per day. Right. Uh, so my dad felt that he could run a crossbreeding program and, and really try and up the milk uh, production quality, you know, in India. And so he himself traveled with a plane with 196 cows um, and landed in Calcutta. And when he arrived in Calcutta, he didn't have permits for the cows. It was really a, a fly by the seat of your pants, uh, you know, excuse the pun, uh, yeah. sort of expedition. They arrived without without customs clearance. And <laughs> so with the help of Mother Teresa, uh, just by some sheer coincidence, mm. uh, you know, my family's not Catholic or anything, but yeah. uh, my dad was able to get a meeting with her and she was able to assist in clearing the the cows through customs. And mm. my dad was then able to distribute the cows out to different organizations working all around India. And one of them happened to be this place. Your grandfather, you said, had already moved to Banbasa. This is grandfather from mother's side or father's side? From my, from my mother's side. Right. Okay. So that explains yes. it. Okay. Yeah, so my mother's father mm. uh, was out here in Banbasa, and then my father from Australia um, got in contact with my maternal grandfather and said, hey, do you want some cows? He said, yes. So, you know, next thing, my dad's on a train traveling with the cows. They bring them out here to uh, to Banbasa. And when my dad arrives, he's initially just planning to stay for a few weeks. Um, and a few weeks turn into a few months. And as time goes on, my dad realizes that this place could really use someone with his skill set, someone right. who can weld, right. someone who can build, someone who has, you know, really practical thinking, electrical work, all of that. Oh, okay. That he learned growing up on a farm. Uh, and so he ended up staying for 10 years. Uh, you know, it went from just a couple of weeks to 10 years. And 
along the way, he married my mother. Um, and my mom was... Uh, Hang on, you know, once and, again. If he yep. marries your mother along the way, how on earth was he connected to your grandpa sitting in Australia so, while he was in Australia? Yeah, so that was just a complete random... Somebody from a radio station put him in contact ah, with my grandfather. Wow, radio yeah. comes into the picture. <laughs> yeah, I believe it was uh, Biker Rodcast Radio. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so so he he kind of randomly came out here and it wow. became life for him. And uh, that's amazing so, to kind of take an aircraft, pull out all the seats, put cows in. I mean, how many people on on this planet have even thought about doing something like that? <laughs> we we like to declare that it's a world record. We can't back that up, but nobody's disproven it. So I like to say my dad holds a record for in uh, bovine immigration cows by airplane internationally. <laughs> Uh, and they actually, what was what was really interesting is, as part of, they put plywood down on the floor and straw down on the floor. Yeah. Um, but to get from one side of the cabin to the other, they yeah. had little uh, little sky bikes set up on a pulley that my dad had rigged up that uh -huh. they would pedal with their hands and and go over the backs of the cows to get from one end of the yeah. of the yeah. airplane to the other. Wow. You know and. It's truly unique uh, experience for him, right? Like, uh, it, it sounds like something out of an Indiana Jones movie. Absolutely. Or, I mean, it, it, it has, it, it almost sounds like a mission, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's insane. Uh, but the insanity certainly doesn't stop there because when he arrived here, you know, on the farm, by then, uh, the place had grown, you know, over the years, it had grown and grown and grown, eventually become this, this children's home with mm. 120 plus children. Um, along the way, my mother, while she was growing up, you know, 16, so 17 year old girl. Your father set up? Uh, no, no. My, my grandfather and my oh, mother. Okay. So they set up the children's home. Okay. And uh, along the way, the, the home became full and there was no room for any more children. But mm. my mother's, like, sort of, uh, I guess, passion for caring for children she couldn't turn anyone away. And so right. she actually ended up adopting seven children okay. uh, into her own family okay. as an unmarried, you know, starting at 16, 17, 18, 19, she continued to adopt them as years went on <laughs> and ended up with seven children that she looked after as her own. Right, right. So when my dad married her, yeah. he became an instant father to seven. <laughs> you know, and uh, I mean, that in itself is... is uh, <laughs> is a pretty big undertaking. Yeah. But uh, then it took it took some years and um, my parents then had three children of their own. I have two biological sisters and myself. And, oh, that's nice. Uh, we were a happy family of 10 kids. Wow. Uh, you know, for some time. And, and so in the mid 80s, hmm. uh, my dad's visa ran out here in India and he had oh. to travel back to Australia. So uh, reluctantly, by then, the adopted brothers and sisters were a little older. Hmm. The youngest was about 16. Hmm. Um, but we headed back the, the, myself and my two biological sisters and my mother and my father, we headed back and we lived in Australia for the next 18 years. Oh, and that's okay. where, how old, how old were you? So I was two when I left for Australia. Okay. So, or, you know, really I was just under two, like one, one year and a few months. And, right. Uh, so we lived in Australia for 17 and a half years or something like that. And wow. Uh, just, but we also came back and forth to India in between. Okay. Uh, and so then just, just after, it was actually just after my 18th birthday, mm. um, 
a year had gone by after my grandfather had passed away. So my grandfather passed away in 2003. Okay. And then in 2004, we made the decision that we would move back here and take over the reins of this organization. Got um, it. The, the, the leadership was struggling. There was a lot of problems, you know, a lot of issues that often face organizations like ours when, when there's no strong leadership, mm. um, you know, people encroaching on land and people trying to, you know, uh, take things that aren't theirs. And mm. so we came out in 2004 and it's been a wild adventure since then, you know, it'd be nothing short of an incredible adventure. Right. So that's, that's how a, a young Australian ended up here. And I've been here now, <laughs> what, 16 years. The Biker Radio Broadcast. Listen, connect, right on. You're on the Biker Radio Broadcast. I'm Shandy and with me on the long way home today is Shutter Happy Clifton Shipway, Director of the Good Shepherd Agricultural Mission, owner of motorcycling tour company Detour in the outbacks of Uttarakhand, bordering Nepal. Now the Good Shepherd organization does community service, seva as we know it. So I asked Clifton to elaborate. Hi, this is Christian Shipway, 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 and you're on the long way home. Home. Yeah, so our organization is called the Good Shepherd Agricultural Mission. Right. Our organization has sort of five primary pillars, we okay. like to call them, All right. uh, that are our sort of main areas of focus. And, and uh, the main three, the top three are our children's home mm. uh, that we run. Uh, then we also have a school that supports our organization. So in our school, we have about 700 students okay. who are fee-paying students from the outside community. Okay. So the sort of the greater Banbasa area, if okay. you will, okay. um, who come just as day scholars and study alongside our regular hostel students. All right. Um, and so the fees that they pay are then able to cover the educational fees and, and staff salaries right. and things like that of the hostel and, and the children. Right. Um, and then the third sort of major pillar is our farm. So we have a 55-acre right. fa farm where we grow wheat and rice and we've got fishery, you know, uh, two large fish tanks. We've got a couple of orchards. Mm. We've got uh, 150 uh, desi chickens, you know, for eggs. Mm. Uh, we have a big dairy that my dad helped to establish, right? And right. Uh, so we have about 50 uh, cows at the moment. Wow. Um, and, yeah, it's... Uh, it's sort of this huge uh, ecosystem of its own. Right. You know, it's uh, it's very unique and different from what you think when you think a children's home or, you know, an, an NGO. Uh, it's very much its own little biosphere, uh, yeah. you know, filled with some amazing little projects. We, you know, we do a lot of solar. We do a lot of permaculture. Uh, we handle all our own vehicle and motorcycle tractor maintenance. We uh, have a full-time carpenter who builds all our furniture and, so, you know, it's this very, it's, it's very much its own little oasis yes. uh, in the world. So there's agriculture, there's education, there is farming. Yeah. So then the last two pillars, which are a little less uh, prominent yeah. than the other two is one is disaster relief. Oh, and wow. Support. Uh, yeah. So growing up in Australia, one of the other things that I did was surfing. Um, I yep. love to surf. Sure. I would regularly swim in flooded waters just for fun. You know, whitewater <laughs> rapiding with with car tires, you know, and just blowing up car tire tubes and, and just doing things that a 15 year old kid should probably not do. Um, and that taught me a lot of confidence in in rough water. Right. Um, surfing out in Tassie has some of the heaviest waves in hmm. 
in the entire world. Okay. Um, so, you know, really huge, massive waves. Um, and so when things go wrong here in Uttarakhand, mm. uh, whether it's the floods that we had, you know, the, with the devastation that we had in Kedranath and Badrinath, or whether it yes. was the earthquake that happened in, in uh, Kathmandu, right. uh, we uh, are able to, not just our staff, but also our senior boys, you know, mm. the ones who are 20, 22, 23 years old, mm. uh, we go in and we reach people who often are not reached by others. Um, you know, right. we try to go to the areas where the disaster support teams from the government uh, haven't yet been, because maybe they're not the epicenter, right. um, but there's still certainly people who need help. And um, even just local flooding that happens every year during the monsoon, uh, we go out with our tractors and, and our lifts and we help to dispose of dead animals, dead livestock, you know, bury them in the riverbed to help prevent the spread of disease. Mm. Um, you know, those, those little things that just... That's community building. They help to... Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's sort of our focus of the work that we do is to just uplift the community and support the community. And, that's... and then the fifth and final um, sort of project that we do is, is also, um, you know, a, a little bit more of a quieter one, a little bit more of a slower one, and that's vocational training. Oh, so wow. from time to time, we run things, whether it's computer training, you whether mean it's actually... photography. It's actual skill imparting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we have a little sewing training center where we hire a tailor to come and teach just simple things to uh, the women in, in our village. And, uh, you know, so, so it's, it, not, it's just not a huge talk, focus It's for real us. work. Oh, absolutely. No. Yeah, it's actually stuff happening. Um, you know, we, we don't have time to just cook the books and pretend that stuff's happening. We've just got to get it done. <laughs> and that's that's sort of been my dad's. That's been my dad's attitude the whole time. He's he's the most incredible director oh, um, to have for an organization because, you know, for example, if uh, if something's wrong, like let's say a septic tank is is giving issues, right. the inflow of, like pipe to the septic tank is not is blocked. Yeah. Uh, our director, uh, you know, my father will be the first person to jump in the tank and shove his hand up the the, the pipe that's filled <laughs> with poo and uh, and unblock the thing and. Uh, that's just very typical of my dad. And Give us your dad's name. Uh, my dad's name is Rick Shipway. I mean, his name is Warwick Shipway, but everybody calls him Rick right. because Warwick is a tough name. Right. Uh, even, I mean, even on New Year's Eve, we had a food truck come and uh, we, we gave all the kids here like chow mein. We, we took over the food truck ourselves and cooked the food ourselves and had an amazing time. Wow. And uh, New Year's morning, we pushed breakfast to 11 o'clock so that everybody could sleep in. But uh, <laughs> 7 o'clock in the morning, my dad had noticed that the uh, the food trucks sort of awning, the umbrella awning that opens off the front yeah. of it. He'd noticed the yeah. night before that the food truck's awning wasn't opening fully. So he he opened up the entire awning at 7 o'clock in the morning, New Year's Day. Wow. And was angle grinding away uh, <laughs> to uh, to fix this guy's food van. Um, you know, and, and I... It just so happened that the food van was parked right next to my bedroom window. Right. So I had to experience the seven o'clock wake up when I was hoping to wake up at ten. Uh, but that's the type of guy that well, my dad is. That's an amazing is. dad to have, man. Absolutely, yeah, and and he can do everything, man. Like he's got computer skills. He's you know he's these days he's even picking up a lot of photography tips from me. So you know I better watch out or he's going to take over my work. <laughs> and tell us about mommy. So my mum, Maxine Shipway. Uh, was I think everything that's good about my dad, uh, my my mom had every other good thing in this world. Uh, you know, she was one of the most compassionate, caring, understanding people, and uh, really uh, 
a true sort of counselor and friend to to everyone she came in contact with. And mm. uh, she was the type of person that any day, all day, every day, mm. somebody was in her room just sitting with her, chatting with her. Um, my mum was somewhat bedridden. She had uh, some, some health issues that meant she was in a wheelchair um, most of her life, almost my entire life. Uh, you know, I, I never grew up seeing my mum run or, or, you know, she would walk downstairs very carefully holding the rails and stuff, but she generally had to sit in a wheelchair the entire time. And uh, so her way of, of supporting the community here was through one-on-one -on -one relational support, wow. which I think most of us miss out on most of our lives. And, you know, to have someone that we can entrust with our deepest fears and secrets, uh, you know, and, and that's, that's who she was and, and everybody respected her as a result. And, uh, but she was also fierce and not afraid to tell people what they needed to hear. Uh, you know, even if it was tough, uh, she was really excellent at that, very discerning as well. And uh, whereas dad and I tend to be the quicker get going, uh, get stuff done type of people, she was very much more the thinker and the contemplator. And uh, that made her a whole lot wiser than we are. So this, uh, the sense of compassion within you must be coming from your mom. And also, I would imagine, Hindi Hindi. बिल्कुल यार जैसे अगर मैं अगर मैं हिंदी में बोलता हूं तो मतलब लोग बताते हैं कि पहचान नहीं सकते कि मैं फॉरेनर हूं ना मैं मैं अंग्रेज तो बोल नहीं सकता हूं क्योंकि इंग्लैंड से नहीं हूं विदेशी हूं लेकिन वो अगर मैं हिंदी में बोलता हूं तो फिर लाइक जैसे ओवर द फोन अगर मैं फेस टू फेस बात करूंगा तो लोग तो चौंक जाते हैं जैसे मैं रिक्शो में बैठता हूं तो रिक्शो वाले तो हमेशा तो उंगली मतलब लाइक आंख तो उनके इतनी खुलता है लाइक सीट के बराबर लाइक यू नो दे जस्ट लाइक huge eyes because they just, yeah. just get shocked to hear me speak in Hindi. Yeah. Uh, but over the phone, I have conversations all day long with, uh, you know, yeah. doctors, lawyers, parents, and they forget that I'm a foreigner. They forget that I'm this white guy. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's an asset, I think, oh, yeah, being white and being fluent in Hindi. But it, uh, it can be funny. Yeah, in, in the tourist traps of India, you know, uh, it can be an incredibly fun thing to have <laughs> up my sleeve. <laughs> You're listening to the Biker Radio Broadcast. Listen, connect, right on. You know, compassion is such a warm word. Everybody's felt it, either giving it or receiving it. Paul Spearings, uh, for example, stopped and helped resuscitate C.S. Santosh, who suffered a head injury and had to be airlifted to safety. And till reports last came in, uh, he is undergoing an induced medical coma and hopefully he'll be back with us very soon and all will be well. But there's humanity spilling out everywhere. Ashish Raurane demonstrated that exactly himself, stopping to help Pathias Walkner out of a sand pit having burned his clutch. Now Raurane's good Samaritan deed is making him the prince of hearts in Arabia. Ashish is the first Indian Mali Moto challenger and he too unfortunately crashed and till reports last came in is conscious but in the ICU. Uh, wish the best for the two of them. Harith Noah too had parts of his motorcycle and protective gear chewed away but is still racing. Dakar 2021 you've made success elusive and perilous and we'll be back to persevere and prevail. You know, the hamdardi or compassion that Maxine Chipwe exuded all her life comes through in Clifton as well. This off-road, all-terrain rider 
packs not only adventure into his exotic motorcycle tours, but weaves compassion and commitment beautifully into them. There's a lot about Clifton that we did not know. Hi, this is Clifton Shipway, 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 and you're on the long way home. home. Wow, so you married an Indian girl? Yes, I certainly did. Where did you meet her? Uh, so my wife was actually grew up as a child of this place. Oh. Um, her, her mother was from a very poor background and living on the railway tracks. Um, and her oh. father had, had passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was brought here at a very young age, just mm. a couple of years old, and um, grew up here. And then uh, when I came out in 2004, we became friends and mm. uh, over time we got married and we've been married now just over 12 years. Wow. Yeah, so between us, we have three sons. Okay. Uh, so, you know, my, my three boys who are incredibly uh, boisterous and <laughs> just like me, uh, you know, I, I, I fear and look forward to the day when they get motorcycles. Um, <laughs> because they will certainly, they're already going around on rollerblades and scooters like they're indestructible, um, you know, but uh, I think that's all that's all something to look forward to. So um, what are they called? Look forward to. So my eldest is Malik. He's nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dylan is my middle child mm-hmm. and Dylan is seven. And then Aaron is my youngest and he's uh, just turned six. OK. And uh, obviously she loves everything that you do. Yeah. Uh, so Priscilla and I... Um, we had our first ride, I believe, was for our honeymoon. Yeah, it was our honeymoon. So the day after we got married, we yeah. we went for our first ride, and we haven't stopped. Every honeymoon, we go for a ride. Wow. Oh, sorry, every honeymoon. Every anniversary, we go for a ride. Right. Um, and there's plenty in between, too. And she, while she doesn't actually ride the bike herself, she sits pillion, oh. uh, she can sit longer than me. So, like I mentioned, we went on a 17-hour ride. Mm. That's very normal for her and, and me. And, uh, you know, something that we, I think our limit, uh, our longest was 21. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're comfortable on long rides and she just loves being behind the bike. She hates sitting in cars. She oh. gets incredibly motion sick in cars. Uh, can barely travel 15, 20 kilometers without getting motion sick. Okay. But she'll sit on a motorcycle all day. And is Malik stealing the motorcycle? Not yet, but he's awful close. I tell you, like... If he's anything like me, it's only going to be another two years and he'll be taking it out at 10 o'clock at night when I'm asleep uh, you know, and, and taking it for a burn around the, the jungle and then coming home. So wow. I better start hiding my keys. Hi, this is Christian Shipway, 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 Shipway. And you're on the long way home. home. You have set up this amazing concept of how through motorcycling you can give back to society i guess it it was all sort of inspired by a friend of mine okay uh in australia i i was chatting with him when i was back visiting and uh i kind of said to him so so i don't draw a salary i don't take a salary from uh the good shepherd agricultural mission i i could um my dad could but it's just not for us, you okay. know, we, we want to be able to have that confidence that everything we do here is in a voluntary basis. And yeah, we get food, we get accommodation and, you know, there's a security in that. And, and really that's enough. Um, yeah. But now that I'm a married man, I've got kids that I'll need to put through college one day. I, I sort of had that lingering thought in my mind that, okay, I need to do something to generate income. 
Okay. I need to do something to to raise money for my family, get a steady, regular source of income. Because I do uh, photography as a freelance photographer, you know, mm. and from time to time I get to work with some 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 great, uh, you know, contracts, but it's inconsistent. And mm. I wanted something consistent. And so I was chatting with a friend and we were trying to think, well, what am I passionate about? Okay, I'm passionate about photography, but I'm also like all my photography, almost all of it uh, revolves around motorbikes. Right. So and, and adventure riding. So how can I turn that into an income source? And that's mm. where the idea of, of Detour was born. Mm. And uh, so the premise of the organization is um, we focus uh, especially on foreign tourists coming into India. Yeah. And the idea is and that's just pure and simple because they're the ones who are willing to pay the amount, the ridiculous amount that we're trying to charge. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, people come into India they they pay a set fee hmm. that that covers them from Delhi airport to Delhi airport. Hmm. So we we go to Delhi to Delhi. We pick them up. We bring them to Banbasa where they stay here for a couple of nights. They do a little bit of off road training with us. They hmm. do some first aid training. Uh, you know they sign their waivers and all those types of forms and things like that. And they also are introduced to our organization. Right. And they get a chance to see the organization they're about to support. Right. And then they go off on this incredible 12-day, 8-day, 6-day, depending on which package they do, uh, tour through Uttarakhand. Uh, we also have a tour through Nepal to Upper Mustang. Yes. Um, and so they do this incredible tour where everything is covered. Every meal. Uh, we even provide them with, with drinks, you know, in the evenings. Uh, everything is covered because of the ridiculous fee that we charge. Right. You know, and, and they're given a brand new Royal Enfield Himalayan to ride. And then... At the end of it. Yeah. So then at the end of it, when when the tour is all over, they come back to the organization and we have this beautiful uh, handing over of the keys ceremony where what they do is they donate the motorcycle to the Good Shepherd Agricultural Mission. And the Good Shepherd Agricultural Mission then sells it or auctions it off. And the funds from that go to the Good Shepherd Agricultural Mission. Now, I draw my salary from all the other things that I charge them for, you know, like the, the overall package. Uh, I'm able to get money. And, and believe me, it's enough what I earn. Uh, and it's also enough to support my staff of Detour, you know, right. to be able to pay them. But what's great is the staff of Detour are 100% made up of people who were once children of the Good Shepherd Agricultural Mission. Right. So... They're, they're supporting not just through the sale of the bike, but also through the payment of wages to the, the guys who are going along on the rides. And, uh, you know, it, a, along the way, we're staying in these beautiful four or five star accommodations. Uh, there's a, a professional photographer who comes along. Generally, that's me. Uh, we have a lead rider. We have a, a um, full time mechanic with us. We have two support riders who travel along through the middle of the pack, just making sure everybody's OK, right. you know, back and forth and. Uh, you know, it's it's literally they just like everything is covered. They pull up to the to the accommodation and the bikes are cleaned by the staff. The bikes are serviced by the staff. Right. You know, they pull up to a fuel station. They just the, the fuel cap gets opened. Mm. The fuel goes in. They don't have to handle any payments or anything. And, and so all these uh, clients have to do is just enjoy the ride. Right. Just enjoy it. from from sun up to sundown. You know, just enjoy every moment of the ride and the journey. And we, you know, we do a couple of homestays along the way. One of them has a full-size pool table in the <laughs> middle of the Himalayas. You know, and like so, there's all these moments along the way where they're just they're just constantly surprised and constantly amazed at, at the mm. beauty that India has to offer. Sure. You know, we go into the the caves at Patal Bhuvneshwar, and uh, you know, they explore these incredible sort of surroundings and go off on morning walks before the ride begins and. 
uh, yeah, it's truly, uh, I, I would say, a one-of-a-kind ride. Uh, I've never, I'm yet to experience or see anything that quite compares to it because while the ride and everything is beautiful, the most beautiful moment is that handing over the keys ceremony. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people are just constantly impressed by it, you know, constantly just, it's such a touching moment for them. Yes. The Biker Radio Broadcast. Listen. Connect. Ride on. All right, now we'll take a break here and listen in to people who have been on the road. On my way this time, we have Deepak Gupta, who was on a trip of Gujarat, sending us a bite just before he did the run of Kutch. Hours later, I saw a photograph of his bike stuck in the white leg bed. Uh, the only thing scarier than getting stuck in the run of Kutch has to be if you run out of Kutcha. I don't think Deepak found that funny because he's not responded yet to my Instagram tippany. But a second my way is from our expert from leavetheroad.in, Binil Varghese, who was actually leaving for home from Bangalore to Jamshedpur via Chennai. And we have bits of a road report from him as well. Over to Deepak Gupta, a.k.a. Mountain Man first and then to Binil on my way. My way. Good morning. Hi friends, this is Deepak Gupta, the Mountain Man. And I am riding with three other friends and we are out to explore Gujarat. And we have named our ride as Gujarat Safarnama. And uh, yesterday we had crossed, we were trying to cross the run of Kutch, but we could reach only till Nadabet. And uh, we have covered almost 100 kilometers of the run of Kutch, little run of Kutch. And today morning we are starting towards Nadabet border. And uh, upon reaching there, we will see how far we can go further. And till then, goodbye. This is Deepa Gupta, the mountain man. And this is my way. This is Benel Varghese reporting for the Biker Radio broadcast. I'm at Nellore uh, right across the Andhra border from Chennai and uh, I'm heading to uh, Jamshedpur, my hometown. This is actually my leg two of the journey uh, uh, and what I want to talk about is the leg one uh, which was from Bangalore to Chennai. Uh, I had stayed over at Chennai uh, for Christmas with family. Now, ideally, this would have been a boring stretch of road, but uh, something interesting did happen. So I was around uh, 65 kilometers before uh, Chennai and uh, stopped in to top up my fuel and my bike refused to start after that. While trying to figure out uh, what was going on and one of my friends uh, suggested to push start the bike, one small kid, maybe 10, 15 years old, came over and stuck around me trying to see if he can help out. As expected, we did manage to push start the bike and uh, we got going. I realized that my uh, battery wasn't charging. It was already getting dark. It was almost 7.38 in the night and I knew that the battery won't last for long and my lights would go off. Anyway, I was trying to reach as close to Chennai as possible and I got going and I switched off all my lights and started riding in the dark. In the meantime, uh, help arrived in the most unexpected way. One cabbie who was going the same direction realized uh, what I was facing and he kind of 
started going in the same speed as me uh, lighting up the road ahead of me and he would even you know uh, light up his blinkers to show if there is a pothole or a rock or something on the road in the way ahead uh, that was nice of him in fact uh, with his help i managed to reach around close to 20 odd kilometers before chennai somewhere around that point my bike started stuttering and i realized that my fi is not getting enough power and it's shutting off and uh, out of the blue one more chap just turned up out of nowhere he was on a two wheeler uh, he realized my bike was shutting off he told me that he'll help me push the bike with his leg while he was on his bike and he got me around close to another 5 odd kilometers on that highway till i got to the punavale flyover i told him to you know go ahead over there because that's a major junction and i realized i would end up getting help there uh, i suspected the battery to have failed i called up uh, the rsa for my vehicle uh, with royal enfield and uh, they turned up with their support within half an hour try to jump start my bike it started but obviously the charging wasn't working so the bike had to be taken to the service center uh, they immediately called called a tow truck and uh, even reached out to the guard of the nearest service center who actually came in person it was almost 12 in the night by then he came and uh, helped load the bike onto the tow truck uh, next morning um, i got a call around uh, 9 from the service manager told me that uh, he'll look into what the issue is and by 4 they called up and told me that they found that the battery is okay and the issue is with the coil uh, which had basically burned out Uh, and they replaced it in warranty and the bike was ready by 4:30 i got the bike in the same day it was actually remarkable and in fact i i remember us talking about this a few days back where we were telling that you know having an rsa when you go on a long journey is very useful and i found it to be very helpful in the first leg of my journey uh yeah that's about it uh, now i'm heading to vizag uh, trying to reach that today i'll keep you posted on what happens there on That's it from me, Binal Varghese, and this is my way. My way. Thanks, Deepak Ji. Thanks, Binal. My way is a section where you can send us your road trips audio report by recording the raw experience on your phone, and we'll dress it up before airing it. But why do we do this? Well, simply because it reminds us of the road. the pictures are more real because you use your imagination to fill in the colors and the shades now you know why we prefer audio over video well the whatsapp audio box number is 8920276675 once again 8920276675 if you are an international listener please prefix plus 91 for india if you go to bikeradiobroadcast.com though you'll get all the details there also are 61 episodes now for you to choose from uh, can i also request you to please follow us on instagram at bike radio broadcast and on our facebook page at br broadcast all right time to get back on the long way home with our guest australian desi adventure rider professional photographer philanthropist and a man with two left legs Clinton Shipway and he's telling us about getting back on the road post the lockdown. Hi, this is Clifton Shipway, 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 Shipway and you're on the long way home. 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 Tentatively looking at 
at what point can I open up Detour again? Okay. Um, you know, and while while Westerners at the moment it's pretty difficult to come into India. Mm. Um, Nepal is open, and I could start potentially looking at running rides in, you know, especially the the Mustang ride. Wow, uh, is an option, sort of maybe mid twenty twenty one. And you go so right sort of, up uh, to Upper Mustang. Yeah, yeah. it's a, the best ride I've done in my entire life, uh, hands down. If there is one place on this planet that I would recommend going to before it gets destroyed, as I said, by tourism. It would be Upper Mustang, and I guess we're a part of the problem that I talk about. But uh, it's so incredibly beautiful, such a challenging ride. You definitely want to be a good rider, have a lot of experience off-road. Um, it, it's it was the toughest ride I've ever done, and really? also the most scenically beautiful. So uh, yeah, truly magnificent. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's Mustang. So you know, at the end of sort of the trail, this long and arduous journey, and camping in apple orchards and, you know, uh, just traveling over these incredible mountain passes through uh, dust and sand that's knee deep while you're sitting on the motorcycle. I mean, literally, we were stopping our bikes every couple of hours to, you know, just unload the dust from on top of the engine casing and inside under the seat. And, you know, it was it was like talcum powder so much of the way. Mm. Um, you know, at the end of it all, there's this magnificent town called Lomatang. Mm. And Lomatang is still very traditional. Um, there is a lot of tourism that's come in there, but the, the, the structures around the majority of the town are very original. Um, the people have been there for generations. Right. And we were there uh, during the Tiji Festival, which is yes. um, sort of their main festival, you know, that they celebrate each year. And oh, it was just, it was such an incredible experience to see um, the the Buddhist religion being practiced so visually, right? You know, so so openly and visually, and uh, that was really um, for me one of the highlights. When the like the monks come out and they have these gigantic horns that they yeah. must be like I don't know twelve or fifteen feet long. Yes. And when they blow into them with this incredible like just strength and gusto, the, those horns, uh, like the the sound vibrations that come out of them, the deep bass. And that horn reverberates right down the yeah. valley. Oh, you can hear it for like for kilometers away. Yeah. It just it it like shakes your innards. You know, it just completely yeah. resonates in in your chest and your stomach, and you know, not in a way like these rock and roll concerts where it, it's painful, right. but in a way that just it just feels so natural and beautiful, and uh, like I just the the color the 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 colors that you see after I guess much of the landscape there in Mustang is very pale and very monotone, mm. um, sort of this yellowish sand color, mm. you know, whether it's the mountains or the stones or the sands themselves, mm. you know, of the of the tundra and the, the sort of the plains up there, mm. um, the Tibetan plateau sort of a thing. Right. Uh, but then these guys come out in brilliant blues and reds and, you know, these bright greens and purples and, and you know, they're dancing around in these magnificent masks and costumes. It just, it's just so contrasting to to everything else you know that it just makes it all the more beautiful you know mm. all the more incredible i mean i think of those dancers dancing if they were dancing on the beaches of goa next to the beautiful green palm trees and stuff it just wouldn't have that same effect right. as they do there in that desolate space it's amazing there were so many highlights to that ride you know uh, there was at one point there was a waterfall that was crashing right on the road 
Mm. And we had to drive over stones that I guess the waterfall had washed away all the sand and uh, dust and dirt from from the road. And so it was it was crashing right on the road and then flowing down the road for perhaps 300 meters. And it was I mean, this was like proper hardcore off roading, um, you know, and, and tackling that, taking it on, you know, head on and, and overcoming it was one of the bigger achievements in, in my motorcycle sort of skills uh, you know, history and, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was great to see some guys turn up on BMWs, uh, the GS 310s and dropping their bikes continuously while we just kind of plowed on by with our, uh, with our long stroke, uh, Himalayan engines. It was really lovely to have that pulling sort of tractor, almost like tractor, like torque to pull us over these big stones. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a really cool day. just mind-boggling scenery like an alien world you know um and so untouched too that's what i love the most is often you know we ride through places like ladakh and you ride along and you can't go 50 meters without seeing a piece of trash Mm. and over there you were driving 50 kilometers without seeing another person hi this is clifton shipway 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 and you're on the long way home If you had the opportunity to ride with anyone from history or from contemporary times, or who would that person be and why? I am obsessed um, with Ewan McGregor and, uh, and Charlie <sighs> Borman. Um, I cannot imagine a more exciting journey uh, than the one that those guys did in, in The Long Way Round. Um, yeah. You know, every moment of their adventure, I, I just, like, for me... If I could just do that once in my life, I could put down the, my motorcycle gloves and feel like I've accomplished everything I could possibly accomplish with a motorcycle, you know, through, I mean, just uh, there's one thing is all like Belgium and France and Germany, but like the Czech Republic and Slovakia and Kazakhstan and Mongolia and, you know, even right into the US and, uh, you know, Ukraine. I mean, I just think about those places would just be so incredible to travel through and then to travel through with these guys who are funny, fun-loving, resourceful, easygoing, you know, who, who, you know, if you have a breakdown or something goes terrible along the way, they're, they're not just going to get all upset and, and, you know, cancel on you. They're going to fight it through. And I think that is so inspiring. And, and uh, I hope one day to, uh, to be able to travel the way that they did. Right. So what is the whole set of skill sets that Clifton Shipway comes with? You know, you are definitely a nerd as far as uh, the computer is concerned, right? I'd say I'm first and foremost, I grew up as a gamer. Like, I love playing <laughs> video games. I still love getting into get video games oh, every really? now and again. My What's... boys are passionate about a game called Minecraft. Oh, yeah. And uh, I still still get in and play it with them. Okay. Um, but, uh, no, motorcycles and uh, photography are... Uh, certainly two big things for me, but I'm also very much a people person. I love to just sit and chat and listen and talk as well, obviously, as you've seen, Uh, you know, and I'm just as comfortable sitting around a fire um, chatting with with two friends as I am standing up (laughs) with a microphone in front of me talking to 20,000. Yes, because Um, you do that as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, as as you know, from Ridermania, I'm I'm quite comfortable in those types of things. But the one thing I can't do, you know, mm. I can bungee jump, I can skydive, I can stand in front of a million people naked. I oh, don't care. Right. But the one thing I can't do that I'm absolutely terrified of is dance. 
<laughs> I, Two left cannot, legs. I cannot dance. And it's something psychological in my mind that I have this phobia of dance. And uh, one time I was in a village, <laughs> this tiny little village in the middle of um, Zimbabwe yeah. in Africa. And the villagers were, were welcoming me uh, in this little ceremony where they were all, they were beating on a drum and, and they were dancing and just doing these simple little movements. Yeah. And, uh, and so everybody's taking their turn. They're going around a circle and I could feel that the circle was turning towards me. Uh, <laughs> you know, and they looked for me and there I was a kilometer and a half down the road. I'd run away from my own welcoming party. I just, and, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was just, I was just like, no, nah, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm out. This is not me. I'm out. <laughs> But, uh, you know, ask me to pick up a snake, ask me to catch a cobra, ask me to, you know, uh, you know, climb a waterfall or, or, you know, cross a glacier. I'm cool with it. But ask me to tap my foot to the beat and I will freeze up like like there's a shark in my bathtub. It's but slow down, slow down. But why? What, what exactly what exactly gets your goat there? You know what? I have no idea. So like when I was in Australia, I remember going to my high school sort of like year 10 dance. I remember dancing at the high school dance, uh, but something happened between then and now, uh, and I have no clue what it is. Maybe it was all the expectations and all the moves of Bollywood dancing. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it terrifies me. And all of my kids and all of my friends know this, and uh, they like to, they like to um, pick on me because I'm not scared of anything else. And so whenever there's a dance, or something going on, yeah. they'll always come up and try and get me into it. And, and yeah, I'm never into it. Never, <laughs> ever. You're listening to the Biker Radio Broadcast. Listen, connect, right on. Right, let's make a pit stop now and listen in to our soundboard, Binil Varghese, this time with expert tips gathered from regular travellers for you to plan your next tour to Nepal. By the way, all international borders from Nepal are currently shut uh, due to the pandemic and for expert advice now is the Biker Radio Soundboard. You are listening to the Biker Radio Soundboard. 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 I'm Binil Varghese from leavetheroad.in, a blog about motorcycles, life and all in between. I will be your soundboard today on the Biker Radio broadcast. Today we are talking about motorcycle travel to Nepal. For border crossing, you will need an identity proof. You will need to obtain what is locally referred to as a Bansar for your motorcycle. Identity proof can be your driving license, a voter ID or your passport. If you are using your passport, ensure you get your entry and exit seals. Aadhaar is not accepted in this case. If you are not from India, you may want to check additional visa formalities. There are close to 21 entry exit points and only a few are 24-7. Do check the details for the one you plan to use on the immigration website for Nepal. A Bansar is essentially a road tax receipt for the use of an external vehicle in Nepal. It is issued by the Nepal Customs Office which is usually located a short distance away from the border gate. The documents needed for your vehicle are the application form, the vehicle's original RC, your original driving license, one copy of each of these to be submitted there and three passport size photos. If the vehicle is not registered in your name, you will need a signed letter of authorization from the person who owns the vehicle. The Bansar would cost you in the range of 100 to 200 Nepali rupees per day. The maximum validity is usually around 10 days and can be extended at any border town or airports across Nepal. 
keep a check on the dates as the Nepali calendar is used for official documents. While you can do the running around on your own, there are agents available who do the same for a small fee. Ensure you fix the agent's charges before you hand over your documents in such case. The bouncer should get you to most places across Nepal. However, you will need additional permits to ride to places like Upper Mastan. These need to be procured at any Nepal government registered travel agent in Kathmandu. It can take a couple of days, so keep that in mind when you plan your trip. It currently costs somewhere around 600 US dollars per person for 10 days, and this includes the access to the Annapurna base camp and the guide fees, which is mandatory. Do note that in case you get caught without the permit, the penalty is double the actual charges. Though there is no mandate on insurance, your vehicle and personal insurance may not have coverage in Nepal. Hence, it's a good idea to get one which is applicable in case you end up needing support. Fuel is a major area of concern. While you will not have problems in Kathmandu, you will face availability issues as you ride away into remote areas. Most pumps are old and the fuel is contaminated. Filter it before you put it in your tank. It is definitely a good idea to carry extra fuel, or you may be left stranded for days. Food, you'll get freshly made rice and lentils in most places, locally called dal bath. Roti and bread is available, but in fewer places. If you're someone who cannot manage with this, it is advised to carry some extra food with you. There are a lot of stay options in Pokhara and Kathmandu. Unless you are traveling during a weekend, it may not even be necessary to book a place in advance. Remote areas like Upper Mastang do not have phone connectivity, hence booking places in advance can be cumbersome. Hence, it's best to turn up and look for a suitable place. It is a good idea to get details of vetted stay options from fellow travelers, though. While Indian currency works fine in Nepal, you will have issues using larger denominations as you move away from Kathmandu. It is good to carry Nepali currency and ample smaller denominations. While using ATMs, it is advised to check exchange rates beforehand. That's it from me, Binal Vargis from Leave the Road dot in. Listen, connect, ride on. You are listening to the Biker Radio Soundboard. Soundboard. Hey, thanks, Binil. Hari Bhatolala, Kanjavai. Another tip I picked up from Clifton is that renewing your bansar is a big problem. So, throw in a couple of extra days beyond your itinerary to avoid any trouble. Another person who helped us flesh out this time soundboard is Roy Weber, who's a chef and a frequent traveler to Nepal, and he also spoke of how he had to deal with bed bugs <laughs> in a highway hotel because. They were stuck on the highway in the middle of the night, and nowhere else to go. So they took whatever they got. Yeah, but that that could happen anywhere, really. You know, bed bugs enjoy borderless citizenship. I guess. <laughs> Talking of Roy, though, here's a shout out to Roy's Pizzeria in Hyderabad. He does doorstep delivery. Although he's also available in on Zomato and what's the other one, Swiggy. So folks in Hyderabad and Sikandarabad, check out Chef Roy's Pizzeria. dot com that's chefroyspizzeria dot com and if you're on Instagram you can follow him on at roy's underscore pizzeria and that is I guess Italian for Hyderabad biryani bhul jaoge but food news is good news and if there's something the nation needs to know it is that the Bikers Cafe in Gurgaon is back with a bang it's now Bikers Cafe classic and sanjay has been raving about the new place it's got art and organic garden remember where we used to sit outside 
well, that's it. I'm dying to go and check out the new delicacies and the experiments he's been doing, especially with the egg Benedictines. And holla, apparently he's changed the sauce. So not only an improved vegetarian fare now, but they also have vegan. And I am a non-vegan. So I've got to go there and find out what vegan is. You know, the Biker's Cafe has always been a foodie's delight. And I'll still kill for the Biker's Cafe classic, all-American bacon and eggs breakfast all day long. Oh man, you should never speak about food when you're doing a show. Welcome back on the Biker Radio Broadcast. I'm Shandy. Our long way home, Mahami, Clifton Shipway singer, Peri Bharkandesa. Well, my Nepali is a bit rusty, but yeah, <laughs> I can dance, unlike our guest. Of course, with a little help from Rajiv Pradhan, though. Thanks, Daju. Hi, this is Clifton Shipway, 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 and you're on the long way home. Home. You've been on so many rides, and you you come across so many instances which you never planned for. I mean, it's part of the territory. But uh, what happens? When shit hits the fan. Yeah, I mean, what is adventure without the unexpected moments? Right. You know, if, if everything goes according to plan, there's no adventure. It's just following A to B. And, you know, that's, that's, that's not what I look forward to. I look forward to the bits that, that you have to overcome. You know, and uh, there has been plenty of those moments. And uh, I think that's what keeps me going is, is getting back into them. But... I think um, I often say this on rides when people come along who are nervous and concerned, uh, you know, especially about their riding ability. Yeah. Uh, I always say, like, everybody drops the bike. Right. Everybody drops the bike. And, and it doesn't mean that they literally drop their motorcycle, but everybody runs into a big problem, something that, that you know, knocks them down. And the decision that we make is do we get up or do we, you know, get up and go home or do we get up and get going, you know, and just keep keep moving on. and. Uh, there was one instance where a landslide uh, literally like was going across the road right. and we needed to move from this spot. Otherwise, the landslide was going to roll over us. And so we quite literally rode across the landslide as it was sliding across the road. <laughs> we continued to drive over this like slurry of stones and muck and boulders. And, and you know, it was a good section of maybe 40 meters, you know, okay. maybe 50 meters even. And it was terrifying because on one side you've got a cliff that could drop a giant boulder on your head and on the other side you've got a cliff that could drop you 500 feet and you know so it's it's finding the the, the confidence to move forwards and it was a risk that we had to take because if we'd stayed where we were the, the it was more than likely that the road was going to come down right. um you know, but there's other things too, bikes that get dropped in rivers and completely buried and nobody knows how to open the engine casing and completely fix the machine, you know, but you get it done. Uh, one time I was with my wife, we were on our 10 year anniversary, driving through the jungles of Nepal, making our own road through the jungle um, to go to Pokhara. Yeah. So we, we'd basically um, gotten to a point where we started taking some forestry roads and just following a GPS and then... We switched from the GPS to a, a compass, um, just a handheld compass and following direction. Yeah. And then we switched from the compass to just following bullet tracks and goat tracks and you know whatever <laughs> we could find. 
and we get out into the middle of the jungle and my clutch burns out. Wow. You know, because of all the all the hills and rocks and everything, yeah. uh, it just got overheated. We'd, we'd done 17 hours of riding by that point. Mm. Um, it was a big day and we were exhausted in the middle of the jungle, no support, no help. So, you know, we figured, all right, well, we're just going to have to make a shelter and stay for the night and walk out, leave the bike, get the GPS coordinates, leave the bike, walk out. And uh, thankfully, we actually just randomly came across some amazing strangers, amazing villagers who helped push the bike to a, a place that was closer to their village. Then we went, stayed the night in their village. The next morning, they'd already called a mechanic who'd come out with his vehicle and towed my bike um, to his workshop. And then he was able to fix the bike there. And, uh, wow. you know, I think the trick is just not to give up, just to realize that, okay, something bad's happened. It's time to just reassess and figure out, okay, how do I overcome this? On one ride in, in Uttarakhand, um, one of our riders went off a cliff, like oh. rode, rode her bike straight off a cliff and huh. she was standing down or sort of like holding on to the, the, the ledge of the cliff because she kind of like slid down the cliff and she's down oh maybe 80, 80 feet down the cliff edge, sliding down the bank and uh, her husband is at the top. He was riding another bike and He's at the top calling out to her, like, darling, are you all right? And she's she's yelling back to him, send Clifton, send Clifton. <laughs> and, like, you know, she's calling me to rescue her. So, you yeah. know, sure enough, we we got a rope and we went down and we got her out. And, and uh, you know, I was able to get her up pretty easily. But getting the bike up was a whole nother thing. And, you know, overcoming that, we had to go to a town that was 45 minutes away, uh, borrow some overhead electrical cabling you know the right. thick aluminium cabling right. Right, from right. the electrical department come back and pull the bike up with that cabling using a local uh, utility that somebody was just driving by and we stopped their car and had them pull up the bike and the bike was a complete write-off oh. but we didn't want to leave it down the bottom of the cliff right. um you know and so then figuring out okay how does she now continue the ride and you know she was reasonably undamaged right. uh, quite Mentally, she'd had more of a scare than physical um, injury, but she did have a few small injuries and stuff. But, uh, you know, it happens all the time. The unpredictable. It's, it's what makes life exciting and adventurous. And, you know, it's, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, like, wish it away for a moment. It kind of helps if you have been in the disaster management space. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. <laughs> and I, but I think it's about headspace too. Like... You have to make a decision beforehand that you understand that things aren't going to be 100% according to plan. Right. You may plan to arrive at 6 p.m. and get in at 1 a.m. It just happens. You know, that's that's what you sign up for. And, you know, the, the trick is just not to let it upset you, not to get angry about it and not, you know, not give up when it gets tough. Hi, this is Clifton Shipway. 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 And you're on the long way home. 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 What do you think about motorcycling going forward? Uh, you know, you're someone who feels it right on the street. Yeah, I think that um, one of the nice things is motorcycling is a very individual, uh, you know, and very socially distanced thing. If you want it to be, mm. you know, you can you can jump on a machine and be completely isolated. You know, forget six foot. You can have six hundred feet distance from everyone. Right. Um, you know, but there's, I think that things are going to, I actually truly believe, I was just talking about this today mm. um, with Sean D'Souza from Royal Enfield, that I think there's going to be a big uh, 
a big sort of blossoming of the writing community here in India. People have been tied up and held down at home. And, and I, I have spoken to so many people who've said, like, I always wanted to do this and I was going to do it. I was going to do it in 2020. And of course, do it in 2020 means I was putting it off right. I knew when I was going to do it. I only really knew that I wanted to do it. But suddenly, now that they weren't able to do it, now that it was out of reach, right. you know, it wasn't even an option. It's become even more appealing. And I think when things open up a bit more, um, right. especially when the vaccine rolls out a bit more, I think there's going to be an explosion in the writing scene, in the touring scene and, and traveling scene. And uh, we're going to see even more than ever people journeying and, and traveling, whether it's solo or whether it's in organized group tours, um, to experience the you know incredible India from from behind the bars of the bike. And mm. uh, I look forward to being a part of it. I look forward to, to my company as well as working as a photographer um, to being a part of that. I you know there's nothing I love more than traveling with a group of ten to twenty bikes. Right. and getting to capture those moments of pure joy and pure freedom um, that the other riders have. And, and I have too, you know, I mean, that to get paid to do stuff like that is, man, what, what more could you ask for, uh, you know, to get paid to do something that you're passionate about? And I love it. Hi, this is Clifton Shipway, 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 Shipway. And you're on the long way home, home. You know, you should use the broadcast if you have some plans or you want to promote a ride or something like that. Uh, please feel free to use the broadcast. Well, anyone, anyone who wants to learn more about uh, Detour, my company, um, can check out detour.in. So D-T-O-U-R.in. Um, we're also on Instagram under Detour India. Uh, and yeah, you can find all the information there about rides, upcoming rides. There's none posted at the moment, but there will be very soon. And uh, feel free to drop me a line and, and chat. And even if you just want advice about where to ride in India, uh, I'm always happy to offer ideas and support where I can. And where do the people go to look at your photographs? Yeah, if, if people want to check out my photographs, the best place to go to is probably uh, my Instagram. So it's at Clifton Shipway, C-L-I-F-T-O-N-S-H-I-P-W-A-Y. Um, so that's on Instagram. Or they can go to cliftonshipway.com as well. Uh, I have my own little photography website set up there. So, yeah. Brilliant. So that leaves us only with uh, one last thing, which is... Uh, just Don't say I have to dance. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I have just... Because I'm, I'm... Shandy, I'm, I'm out. The minute you say dance, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting that red hang-up button on Skype. This is Clifton Chipway, and you're on the long way home. Clifton Shipway, we wish you all the best for 2021. And I hope that this year will be brilliant and we'll see Detour back on. And I wish you all the best for the road ahead. Thank you so much, Shandy. It's been awesome talking with you, my friend. And uh, we'll hopefully be back together soon. Hopefully yeah. on a ride soon. Yeah. Uh, but if not, we'll meet up in Goa again this year, I really hope. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Clifton Shipway. Just wishing you a happy new year. Enjoy 2021. It's going to get better from here. I was like, going to ask you a cheeky question was that I've heard of airways. Where does the shipway come from? It actually comes from, which is weird, it comes from sheep farming. So shipway was originally sheepway. And then ah. when my family traveled out from England to Australia back hundreds of years ago. Oh, yeah. Conversations, you know, they can go until the cows come home.
or in this case sheep but that's it on episode 61 thank you deepak gupta and binil vargis for my way jobin george roy webhav binil vargis clifton shipway and sharath chanoy for your insights on travel to nepal well uk is in total lockdown still and with little clarity on the efficacy or the preparedness of vaccines around the world we'll keep our fingers crossed and hope the world can forge some unison that is transparent and equitable well it's a new year and it would be but prudent to wish you all the very best god knows how much you deserve it here is also raising a toast to dakar 2021 the toughest race in the world and to the challengers still roughing it out bitter sweet and a little sour i'm shandy and you just clocked in another biker radio broadcast hour be good and if you can't be good be careful <laughs>